We're in Ephesians 4, 17 through 5, 5. So you can either follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth, as in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I get it that maybe, Steve, we're supposed to really want Jesus to come back because times are hard. I think we should want Jesus to come back even when times are good, though, don't you? Like, think about that for a moment. Like, I get it, Steve. I'm not trying to dog you, bro. Um, I I think it's important, though, that we have... No, 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 no. I know, I know. And I even get it. I get it. I I have to confess. I, I have a greater sense of the need for his return now. I wonder sometimes, though, if that doesn't mean I was missing the point few months ago. Think about that. Um, Sometimes we talk about, oh, it's so terrible. The only thing now that would be kind of worse is if Jesus were to come back, but he would at least make it better. That's not what we mean. We mean that it'd be awesome if he were to come back. And on our greatest day, like our greatest day, like at another grandbaby or something fun like that. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. What's the only thing that could make it better? Jesus Christ returning. So may we look forward to his appearing even more so as the day quickly approaches. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and then the beginning part of 5. That is what we are going to be unpacking this morning as we move from the Apostle Paul making a number of rather bold statements about who we are in terms of our identity, particularly our identity in Christ, and now he is giving us some rather clear, um, and this is, we say we want application, we say we want Man, I wish the Bible applied to my life more, but then when it does, it, gets, it really gets involved in our thinking and in our behavior, and it begins to um, be pushy and nervy, and it begins to ask, like, do you really want application? Like, do you really want to follow this through? Because this text says some things that I've heard a lot of Christian people argue with. I've heard a lot of Christian people say, you know, what we need is we need a lot more, like, righteous indignation. What they mean is anger. Uh, There's a lot of brokenness in this world, and we really need some righteous indignation. And what they really mean is anger. We really need to speak out against, we need need anger is what we need. 
And, and yet, this chapter tells us, no, we don't. So if you're ready for application, this, this text, this chapter particularly, um, has been one of those ones that's very difficult for me because it gives me an alternative way of, of responding and acting in a world that I'm frustrated with. One of the part that concerns me about myself is that much like whenever there is a, a battle or a war that goes on and you have people that engage in that battle, that you have the enemy, and that's everyone who doesn't think like me or act like me or believe like me. And then when we engage, I have this truth or I have this way, and they don't get it. And so we, we engage, and by the time we're done, this happens in, in literally, like literal wars, is that both groups end up acting the same in terms of how they respond. Oh, you got a gun? I'll get a gun. Oh, you got a tank? I'll get a tank. Oh, you got a bomb? I'll get a bomb how you do it, right? And a lot of you are going, "Uh, yeah, that's how you do it. Really? Like, that's how we do it? We look at the enemy, and then we respond like them? See, what this chapter does is this chapter asks a group of people that it's still fresh that things have changed, rather fresh. You once were Gentiles, and, and by the way, You're still Gentiles because you're not Jewish, because we didn't ask you to become Jewish when you came to faith. So you're still Gentiles. But the Apostle Paul is going to challenge these people who lived in a fundamentally different way, who acted in a fundamentally different way to grow up. Like it's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to act like God is inside of us, that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, that this word is not suggestive, but is transforming. And this word speaks, and when Jim disagrees with the word, even if I don't ever say it out loud, I can just feel it inside of me, the word of God, grating against my sinful nature. What gives? Does the word give? Or does my sinful nature give? Does my sinful nature begin to be molded and shaped by the word of God, or in the end, do I do what most cultures do, is then they just take this word, and they cut and paste it, they remove certain sections, or they take parts of it, and they just make it say what they want it to say, and I hope that's not us, I hope in the end, unlike just a child that has to have it their own way, I used to say to my kids all the time, dad, will you do me a favor, and I would tell them when they were very, very little, I hope that you're not asking me something, and if I should say no, you're just going to get upset and throw some kind of tantrum. Because if you are, don't even ask me. You know, and they're two, so I'm really having a a great conversation here. But I would tell my kids, like, that's not what dads do. Like, dads and moms are actually here to do a whole lot more than just make sure you're happy at this moment or content at this moment. What we're here to do is to train you to grow up. We need to do so by speaking the truth, and we need to do so by pointing them to, like that's what needs to happen. And the Apostle Paul is looking at these Christians who are still trying to get used to this new way of living, this new way of acting, because the only thing they know to do is that when they're struck, to strike back. The only thing that they know to do is when you're slandered, to slander back to respond in kind to how they're being treated. And listen, it's not easy for them to be followers of Jesus Christ. This church, the church at Ephesus, is one of the churches in Asia Minor that John writes the book of Revelation to. So it's not easy for them. So please don't think for a moment, wow, but they don't have what we've got today They certainly don't have the problems that we have today. Oh no, they would have dreamed for the problems that we had today. In many cases. It was very difficult for them to be. And yet, the Apostle Paul believes that the Holy Spirit, that the work of Jesus Christ, and that His Word can give them an alternative way of looking at the world because God is doing something in that world. And and you and I are blessed to look at that this morning. And here's our challenge. It's time to grow up. Now, by that, I don't mean 
and be more serious. I, I don't mean that. I, I really believe that um, laughing and being able to laugh at yourself and being able to understand like just how difficult things might be and to not always respond with seriousness, but to, to literally to just respond appropriately in all of those moments is probably a bit better biblical picture of what it means to be mature. It's to recognize that in light of the circumstances around us that we have a responsibility and that we can, by the power of God, respond like ambassadors of Jesus Christ, like this text is going to tell us, as a people that are now being remade in the image of Jesus Christ. I don't want to hear from us, well, but he did it first. Well, they said it first. Well, how else do you expect us to respond if they're going to treat us like that? Like, that's not how we talk, is it? Like, I get that that's how people talk, but not... Not those who have experienced the love of God through Christ. Not those who have the reconciling work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Not those who read this book, right? So the Apostle Paul is saying, it's time to not just celebrate the freedoms that you have. Well, we love to celebrate the freedoms we have in Christ. But to recognize that those freedoms come with responsibility. I'm not trying to give parenting advice, but I, I, I tried to do a good job with that with my boys. Trying to help them realize that with freedom came responsibility. And so one of the ways, small ways, I'm not saying you have to do it this way, but this is what Andrew and I decided to do, was we basically said when our boys were turning of age, turning 16 years old, we said, listen, we're going to help you with this whole car thing. We get it. And since you can't afford to go buy one, we're willing to buy you a car. And so we're going to get you a car. And we're even willing. We, you know, we get that you're going to school, um, most of our children full-time. And so we're, I know you're going, to, that was a joke, they were all going to school full-time. We weren't truant. And so I basically said to them, listen, I know you're going to school, and so we'll take care of the insurance. Okay, we'll pay that. It's a bigger bill. We'll take care of the insurance. Um, but here's what we are going to do. There's, we're going to give you an option on the gasoline part of this. And one of them is, I'll pay for it. And they went, really? You'll pay for it? You'll pay for everything? And I'm like, yeah, I'll pay for everything. Now, by the way, when, when I do pay for everything, then I get to make decisions, right? Because that's the, the joy of paying for things, is that you get to make decisions. And so should you walk and say, hey, Dad, like, um, I want to go to Tommy's, or I want to go to Jay's, or I want to go to Birch's house, then I get to decide whether or not I want to spend my gasoline money going to Birch's house. And so maybe I will, maybe I won't. Maybe be like, ah, you know, you've been to Birch's already this week. What are you going to do at Birch's? I don't know. You know. I don't know. You know. No, I don't even think you know. <laughs> like, well, you know, just, you know, hang. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't feel like spending money to hang at Birch's house today. Now, if you don't like that rule, then you can pay for your own gas. And, and then, by the way, I still, since it's my car, <laughs> um, I'm still going to decide. So if, should you choose to go places that do not bring glory to Jesus, and I find out about it, I'm going to help you with some of that. But in the end, if you want the freedom, then I want you to own the responsibility. And all three of my boys jumped at it. They never even complained about it. But yeah, we want to pay for our gas so that we can have the freedom. Responsibility and freedom. Jesus Christ has died making you and I, we were dead people, dead humans. And he has made us alive. This incredible freedom that we now have to live our lives. Question, do you live that life for yourself? Does it stay kind of in this selfish quadrant? Do I live for me? Do I pursue me, my pleasure, my wants? Now, by the way, I would argue that to just make it a little more broader, and it's so interesting because now that we're practicing social distancing and working kind of with family-type units, if, if I'm not saying... Um, that you extending it to like your family is really much different. I, I think like Jesus would say, well, don't just the, the pagans do that? That's where Jesus would use. Don't the pagans do that? Paul would say, well, don't the, just the Gentiles do that naturally? Like, sure, like we care for our families. Well, yeah, we care for our families. And then the apostle Paul would argue, but does it go further? When you think about the freedoms that you have of what God has done for you and God's mission and purpose in the world, like, have you grown up? Truly, have you grown up? To recognize who God is and what God is doing in the world. There is a difference between those who follow Jesus Christ and those who don't. There is a difference. 
And, and that difference needs to be seen or recognized. And so the Apostle Paul is going to use some rather strong language. And he does this beginning in verse chapter, chapter 4, verse 17. Look at what he says. Therefore I say this, and this is right after the statement Brian preached on last week from verse 16, that we are now growing up. We're growing up into him that is the head. So we're becoming more mature. We're owning the responsibilities, not just the freedom, but the responsibilities. And we're caring for one another. We're recognizing one another. We're looking at the butlers and the Johnsons. What do you need anything? What's going on? How are we doing? Okay, is our relationship, is it model a relationship that we have with God? Is that how this is working? Okay, Higgins, how are we doing? Are we doing well? Any needs that you have? Okay, and then we're going around and we're recognizing that you and I together, this happens at the end of chapter 2 and at the end of chapter 4, that are we becoming this unified body of Christ? Or are we just a collection of religious consumers, of religious products, who are in some kind of individualized pursuit of perfection, and that we attend church occasionally, and it just becomes one more place. It's kind of like your restaurant. And this is where you get like spiritual food. But in the end, you're kind of hunkered down by yourself, for yourself. But hey, you're still nice. Don't take it personally. I just don't have time for you. Don't take it personally. I just, I care about these more than you. Don't take it personally. I'm just going to tell you right now, God takes it personally. When you decide to focus on yourself, when we decide to focus on our little group, okay, and then we don't recognize how far-reaching this is, we're like children. Okay, can you guys please just get along? Well, but Mac said that I, and then Max did this. Oh, I'm so glad we're mature. You know, and again, there's two, so you got to work with that, right? But can we grow up? Where it's, it's, it's all of us recognizing what Jesus Christ has done, what God is continuing to do, the Holy Spirit that is residing in us, and can we be different than the world? Now, now by the way, here's not what I'm going to be telling you. Some, sometimes we can be, we can, these are preachers that make this mistake, Bible teachers make this mistake. They want to give you like some reasons why this is beneficial for you. Hey, by the way, you need to be different than the world. And this text talks about sexual immorality and you could get a disease. Or, you know, it's just not, I don't know, it's just not nice. It's just not appropriate. And so let me give you some benefits. Let me give you some reasons why we should be. That, that's how we usually talk. The Apostle Paul is not giving a list of suggestions for an alternative way of living because it somehow would be of benefit to them. The Apostle Paul is saying this. You were dead... And because of faith in Jesus Christ and what he did, you are now a fundamentally different person, so live like it. I didn't tell my boys when they decided to accept Jesus Christ. And now, by the way, let me give you some reasons why you should. No, you decided to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You decided to claim him as your Lord and Savior. Let us live from that. Do you see the difference? The difference is a fundamental, it comes within me. And so if you're not growing up, if you're not, and I'm going to list of, of signs that show somebody who is not growing up or somebody who has, does not have Christ in them, does not have, uh, as Paul said earlier in, in chapter 3, that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith, that means that Christ dwells in us by us trusting in and being obedient to him, by knowing what Jesus Christ says and then we live like that by trusting in him, by believing in him. Not just believing facts about him, but by believing in every word that he teaches. And so my life begins to look like his life. Okay, That's what the Apostle Paul is describing. And he is describing a fundamentally different way of doing it. And he says something that's kind of offensive here. He says, this is how the pagans or the Gentiles still live. Notice the number of times at the begin, uh, beginning of verse 18, the beginning of verse 19... They, they, because it's not you anymore. It's them. They act this way. So I want to ask you this question. Number one, um, do you recognize, especially for those of you that have become a believer later on in life, like, do you recognize that this was the former way in which you used to live? Give thanks to God that you don't live that way anymore. Second thing, 
do you recognize some of these attitudes or behaviors still in you? Then what do we do with that? Look at what he says. I'm going to kind of be running through verses 17 all the way down um, through verse 19. But I'm going to grab a phrase from verse 22. I'm just going to list for you. And on the board, it's going to have like the description of them, of the, of, of the world, of Gentiles, right? If you're a Gentile, please raise your hand if you're a Gentile, right? Yeah, I think it's virtually all of us. He's speaking about us. He's speaking about, now here's what, why that's so big. is because he's describing a group of people that if, the Apostle Paul had not come, that if somebody had not come, we would have never figured out. We would have never figured out. We're not smart enough to figure out how to make peace with God. And we're not good enough to make up peace with God. Like we're completely dependent on someone else giving us information because we think we're smart enough and we're not. And we think we're good enough, but we're not. We're dead. That's what the Apostle Paul says. So from one Gentile to another, can I just say to you, Like, thanks be to God that he revealed the brokenness in me. So there has to be a difference. Now, we live in a time in which it's not good to have an us or a them, and I get the good part of that, but there's also a dark side of that. Where in the end, we literally, as Christian people, try to act as though there's no difference between us and them. Now, the Apostle Paul says there should be. This is the them. He says, you should no longer live in this way, in the futility of your thoughts, the dead-endness of your thoughts, the futility of your thinking, which, by the way, is darkened by your understanding. Your understanding is usually what enlightens you, because you're educated, so you're enlightened. But interesting, the Apostle Paul doesn't say, and you need to go back to school. No, no, no. Your understanding is, in fact, darkened. So the more understanding that you get, the darker that it gets. Education is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And the truth that we find in him, the Apostle Paul is going to say. So when your thinking is futile, then you have a darkness in your own understanding and it builds into being excluded from the life of God. And that's what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. That did you realize that you Gentiles were, were far from God and you were without hope in the world? You were without hope. Like that's, that, that was me, or that would have been me. And, and more so for me, because you know, my family grew up in Canada, where there's more darkness in that sense. Truly. I mean, I mean that. Like, more unbelievers. The number of times I just stop and think the decision that my dad made in Halifax, Nova Scotia in 1960. The, listen to me, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. The decisions that my mom and dad made for Christ against everything that they had been taught. They had been taught darkness and futility. And my mom and dad made a decision to follow Christ, and that set our family on a different trajectory. A different way of living. A different way of acting. So excluded from the life of God, the ignorance that is in them. Anybody getting offended yet? Who are you describing here as dark and futile and ignorant? That would have been me without Jesus Christ. That would have been me without the world of the Holy Spirit. That would have been me if it wasn't for God's grace and God's kindness. That could have been me. It says this, the hardness of their hearts. The ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their hearts. This is a great idea. What happens to a lot of people when they hear the truth is that they just double down on their anger or their frustration. Oh yeah? Oh yeah? Well, if God's going to be like that, well then I won't worship him. Have you heard that? I've heard that. I can't believe a God that would act like that. Okay, double down. That's a worldly attitude, isn't it? I hear the word of God being described in a particular way, and I can't believe it, and I don't like it, and so what do I do? I double down. This is what Paul's describing. This is a worldly approach, a worldly attitude. The hardness of our hearts, it says they became callous. One translation says they became insensitive. So that is why getting into the repeated habit of saying no to God in the small things or even in the the, the big things or even in the small things is an incredibly dangerous position to be in. Because the more that you invest in your way of thinking and your way of acting and your way of your behavior and the more that God is confronting that and the more that you double down and the more that you double down, the more you become insensitive. 
Until you get to this point where the Bible warns, Romans chapter 1, kind of hinting at it here, is that God gives you over to it. Talk about, I, I know that a lot of Christian people think, wow, God just gives them over to it? No, think about that. God gave them over to it. And by the way, this is God. He doesn't abandon them completely. Like one of the, one of the, one of the, one of the most um, sobering, genuinely terrifying concepts is that God would give you the desires of your heart and your, the desires of your heart are not him. And by the way, if you can't believe in a God that would do that or I won't have any part of a God You're proving his point. You understand that? You're proving his point. This is God's word here. This is his instruction. They became callous or insensitive. What did they do? They gave themselves over to promiscuity. A big part of this entire text is about sexual immorality. Which, by the way, becomes a natural way in which people live when they're following their desires and they don't think anything really matters and people become means to a better end to feel better about ourselves, right? Whether I take or whether I manipulate or whether I exploit, this is what we do. This is the way the world acts, right? The Apostle Paul says, but that's not us. That is so not us. Gave them over to promiscuity, practicing every kind of impurity, corrupted by deceitful desires. The CSB says, and they do so more and more. Um, Other translations talk about this being like added to um, over and over again by this this, um, unsatisfying or this desire, this insatiable greed that exists. You see the cycle that the Apostle Paul is describing? And what he wants them to recognize is this is that is what you used to be. Now, most of us grew up in a Christian home, right? Many of us did. Just sounds crazy to me. How many of you, when you read this list, go, I don't, I haven't met a lot of people like that. I, I would argue you and I have more than we want to admit. A lot of the people that you and I refer to as really, really nice and really, really kind is almost being there. You need to meet with them. They're a great couple, really, really good couple. Don't know the Lord, want nothing to do with God, but man, they're really, really good. She, she makes this casserole. It's crazy. It's delicious. The Apostle Paul is telling these Ephesian Christians that the world is lost without Jesus. And yet God has then given us the good news of who Jesus Christ is and then you, you and I, by the transformation of our lives, can then be ambassadors and to help them see the transformation that exists. How do we do that? This is it. This is, the, this is the change. This is the major difference. You must no longer live in this way, satisfying the self, pursuing my own wants, being convinced that I'm the smartest one in the world, that all of my positions are right, and everybody who disagrees with me is wrong. That's that's the brokenness that exists. Unable to hear anything but your own voice, which is your own desires. Now, now by the way, I I get it. I I want to kind of remove off the table. If all you're thinking about are those people who are involved in sex trafficking and meth, and since that's not you, this really is not the description, the Apostle Paul is not just painting the darkest. He is describing the root form of darkness which is a self-centered universe in which you rule supremely as queen or king. And that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So listen to the kind of language that he uses to describe us. First of all, we find it says here uh, in verse 21, assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him, this is what we found. We found the truth actually comes in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. Interesting. It's not in a way of looking at the world, unless that way of the world is Jesus made it, and Jesus, the truth is actually found in him. That's why, like, we're people of him. It's, we have a Christian worldview, but the worldview stands with Jesus as king. God as creator. Everything was made by him or for him. That, the Apostle Paul is actually talking about Jesus. Everything was made by him and for him. Without him, nothing was made. That's Jesus. 
a fundamentally different way of looking at the world, where you're not queen and I'm not king, but Jesus Christ is. And to be a follower of Jesus Christ is a reordering of our lives. So what do we do? Notice what he says. We take off our former way of life, our former way of self-directedness, our former way of self-importance, our former way of self-gratification, our former way of living and pleasing and purposing ourselves. We take that off and then we put on the new self. That is why baptism is such an incredible picture. It's not just cute. It is a picture of dead to a former way and alive in a new way. It is it's talking about being clothed with Christ, taking off the old selfish ways and putting on a new way. And, and, and what, what concerns me is that um, I don't know how well I was taught that. And I don't know how well we teach that. There was a way, and then there's a new way. And I think a lot of us are just kind of like believing in a mental assent to a few ideas instead of a radical surrender and a new life. And what the Apostle Paul is describing here is the kind of transformation where dead things, think about this, dead things become alive. That's resurrection talk. Resurrection language. And, and most of us, really, most of us just kind of think we <coughs> had a spiritual cough. We weren't spiritually dead. Spiritually, you know, out of sorts. But we were spiritually dead without God and without hope in the world. So there's a whole new way of doing it. And then he makes this very powerful statement. Look at this statement that is so critical in verse 24. We were created by putting on this new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity. In chapter 5, verse 1, take a look and what does it say? This is a bold statement. I can look at you, Alec, and I can look at you and I can say, be an imitator of God, therefore, as a dearly loved son. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear how hard it is. No, you've been remade in the image of Christ, who is the image of God, and you have been recreated in his likeness. When was the last time you looked at someone and said, be an imitator of God? Man, if you think it's hard to live up to your brother or sister who got really good grades... The imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And I think the Apostle Paul isn't just kind of giving some kind of lofty statement. I think he's describing a truth. No, but you have been, because of your baptism, and the confession of your faith, and because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you are now recreated in the image of God as a dearly loved child. Can you imagine the kind of people that we would be if we quit trying to act a certain way and just lived into that? That the work of Christ in us, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, guided by the eternal word, guiding us into a fundamentally different way of existing. I, I can. I really can. Like, I believe this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this is true? I want to ask you a serious question. Do you believe this is true about you? This is you. This is me. This is us. And so what the Apostle Paul is giving to the church at Ephesus and to the community in Ephesus that so desperately needs salt and light, what they need in Ephesus, is they need a group of individuals who've encountered God and are now God's representatives in that community. And that's what they are. And so what I want to I want to close this with is three kind of connected ideas describing in the, in the latter part of chapter 4 and the beginning part of chapter 5 what it would look like for you and I. Let's move to application. 
What you and I would look like if we were to just live out our baptism, if we would just live out this new life that we have in Christ, to live out what it means to be made in God's likeness. What a bold statement. That's why Jesus makes this in the Sermon on the Mount. End of chapter 5, what does he say? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he doesn't mean sinless. The word actually means mature or grow up. And the context is loving enemies, turning the other cheek, um, being generous and kind to the people that you don't agree with. What? No, 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 that's not how we do it. No, no, here's, here's what we do. When, when we have an enemy and we go to war, we go to war. And if they got a gun, we're going to get a bigger gun. If they got a tank, we're going to get a bigger tank. If they've got a bomber, we're going to get a bigger bomber. If they got a big bomb, we're going to get a bigger bomb. If they're going to slander, we're going to slander. If they're going to be angry, we're going to be angry. Oh, yeah, no, I know. That's exactly the way the world thinks, isn't it? That's not how we got that. It is a fundamentally different way, and we are a people of that way. And therefore, listen to this, listen to this. We can, by the words that we say and the approach that we take, we can offer an alternative approach to a very broken world and a world that right now can really begin to see it. I, I know that it's terrible and it's dark and it's, man, I just wish Jesus would come back. But you do realize that it is in that darkness that the light shines best. It is in that tasteless culture that salt just comes to life. And to offer an alternative approach, one that is in fact peaceable. Listen to this language. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. There's some underlinable stuff here. At least there has, this has been a deeply convicting week for me. Look at verse 29. No foul language should come from your, from your mouth. Oh, you mean like I shouldn't say the F word? That's what, that's what he's talking about? Can I tell you? No, it's not what he's talking about. Now, he might say don't use that word too. This word here is the word sapros in the Greek, which is the same word that Jesus used when he is condemning the tree that doesn't have foul, foul language. It literally means like worthless, like futile, like it has no value. You can tell a good tree from a bad tree, for a bad tree has bad fruit, sapros, fruit. So it's not just bad words. He, now later on he does talk about like the way that we communicate and the way that we talk, no coarse joking. and okay, there's A little more language in that. But right now what he's describing is far more intrusive into my life and I believe yours. Listen to how he, look at, look at the context of verse 29. You'll see what he means. No foul language should come from your mouth but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Yeah, but I, I, I really don't think you're taking the problem seriously enough. Like, I don't, I don't think you read what they wrote. I, I think that that's just, I, I think what we really need is we need strong language for strong times, for strong problems. A couple of months ago, um, I, I, I had to make a decision uh, in some ways to, in a small sense, like sanctify myself. I became so obsessed, anybody else became so obsessed with what was being said in social media that I couldn't get it out of my head. And I, I finally just thought, I guess I gotta get out of this, it's toxic. And it's making me, um, you can go back and read my stuff, I haven't deleted anything. Um, I was mostly on Twitter. I was trying to offer a counterative way of doing it, but I got so wrapped up in it, like my heart began to shrivel. And finally one day I just said, I'm done. I'm just getting out. I could just sense it in me. I could sense my worry about former students or pastors around the country or even people at Sunnybrook Christian Church. And I've spoken to a number of them. I, I, I think that you're not thinking about what is good for building up someone in need and giving grace to those who hear. You're just an angry, vindictive person who feels like you have the right to talk like that and to act like that because they did it first. And that's the best case scenario for most. And it is not like Christ. 
and it brings shame upon the name of Christ and upon the reconciling work of his son, Jesus Christ. And I know the clickbait got you there, but I'm telling you, tell me that we, have to all, all, we can offer some kind of alternative to this way of acting and behaving. Now hear me, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, yeah, but you don't get it because it's, it's, it's that serious. And what about righteous indignation? Paul speaks about righteous indignation. Look at verse 31. This text, and I'm indebted, eternally indebted to my Greek professor, Brother Bowles, who radically reshaped my thinking about my freedom to be angry and bitter. Jesus was angry and bitter, you know, almost all the time. Yeah? Go back and take a look. I'd love to have a discussion with you about the anger of Christ. It would blow your mind. We can have that conversation. The Apostle Paul says in verse 31, let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. He said, let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. But what else would I say? What else would I tweet? I wouldn't have anything. I'd be speechless if I can't be angry and bitter. You do know that the Bible teaches us in James chapter 1, and I had to learn this, that humanity's anger does not bring about God's righteousness. And right now, what's interesting is, this is me too, I get it. Yeah, but it just seems like the times and it seems like the, the, the situation and it just seems like the issues are demanding that of us, right? You tell me. How did Jesus respond in his time? How did God respond to you? Isn't it interesting? Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you. Now hear me, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying, and we shouldn't have tough conversations. I would say this. If you can't have a tough conversation and still act like Jesus Christ, then you're not mature enough to have a tough conversation. And I've had to just humble myself and submit. I'm not grown up enough yet on some issues. If you have to give up the example of Christ to speak, then shush. Don't do it. You will win nothing. And you will only prove yourself a fool. And you will bring shame upon the community that is called the church. Your Lord Jesus Christ, God her maker. And by the way, th th this is one of the signs. When you think about that, bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander, you know what, you know what would only get in the way of you being able to speak like that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will only get in your way. Right? Have you ever said anything out of anger? And then just thought, man, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. I really need to get that out of me. Man, she's crying now, but I think she needed to hear it. And she needed to know how much I hated her. And uh, I feel better for that. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You don't, do you? Yeah. I genuinely believe we need to rethink righteous indignation. It is, uh, it is not a very biblical concept. Look at this. Um, from a peaceable approach, it then leads us to an alternative conversation. Because fundamentally our conversations should be designed around reconciliation. I don't know of a better or more consistent biblical word. Reconciliation. Making peace with those who hear. I think this is, by the way, why the Apostle Paul did a lot of wiping the dust. It was his way of even keeping peace. I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. And this is really just polluting both of us. And he would wipe the dust off of his sandals as a demonstration, and then he would move on. There's some wisdom there. But you do know that our conversations, both with those who are Gentiles and lost, 
or for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, our goal is reconciliation. Reconciling the lost to God and fighting for the reconciliation. Jeremy, I'm not letting this relationship go. Like, I know we're on the other sides of this, but we're not letting this relationship go. What Christ means to us is more. The Holy Spirit means more. Yeah, well, you don't understand. It's an election year, and you're Canadian. You really don't get it. I'll give you one on the Canadian part. But I really do get it. Like, I really do get it. You do know that the Apostle Paul is speaking to Jews and Gentiles who are at odds. And you do know the Apostle Paul has literally said, and I know this means nothing to us because we're Gentiles. I wish we could get a sense of this. Circumcision is not a big deal because Jesus Christ has come. The law of Moses... Stop for a moment. The law of Moses is not that big of a deal because Jesus Christ has come. Well, you don't understand. In November, and I don't know if you can be a Christian if, you know, if you do or if you don't, and if you, yeah, you're right. You're right. Circumcision, the law of Moses, pale in comparison to our problems that we're having today. Wow, the arrogance of us. And Paul is going, yeah, tell Moses to get in the back seat. Jesus is driving. What issues? What? And again, I'm not afraid of the tough conversation, but tell me when you're engaging that tough conversation that in a peaceable working towards reconciliation spirit, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ, fighting for the, for the relationships that exist, brother to brother, sister to brother, brother, sister to sister. Tell me that we are fighting for the kind of the, the, the beauty that the body of Christ can actually be to a toxic world that is itself getting tired of the animosity and the arrogance and the frustration and the one-way conversations. And again, we can have the tough conversations, but we're going to do so with reconciliation. Why are you here? Because I want to fight with you. Like, so that we can get to the bottom of something, and in the end, we're going to put Jesus first? Can you imagine what it would be? What our conversations could be like? You know, I, I hear so much about the church as being hypocritical with this or that. I think one of the most hypocritical ways in which we act and write and speak and tweet and post is the inability for us to recognize that we are God's ambassadors to a lost world, reconciling this world to God by the way that we speak. Just go back and take a look at the conversations that you've had over the last month and tell me that at the very heart of what you're doing is seeking the reconciliation of us to one another and the lost to God. It has been completely lost and you know what you and I are saying? Yeah, but this matters, and this is important. And we never want to say it, but if many of us, it's more important than Jesus right now. No, it's not, and it's lost its way. And if we can't find it in Jesus, I'm telling you this, I've been around, I came here in 2004, that was an election year. I was here in 2008, that was an election year. I was here in 2012, that was an election year. You see the trend? I was here in 2016, it was, and every time I just heard, you know it's the end of the world, right? Every time, it's the end of the world. You know it's the end of the world, right? If so-and-so doesn't win, it's the end of the world, right? I've seen it actually move back and forth. I've seen both sides win. We're still here. I don't know what you're thinking. Yeah, but this one's different. Oh, get in line, sweetheart. Hear me. These things matter, but Jesus Christ matters more. And not just to us in a disconnected way but to the world in a very real way, lastly. Therefore, we offer an alternative community. By being peaceable and by seeking reconciliation, we are now united. Look at, look at verse 25. I love this reminder. He says, as we're being imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. He says this, therefore, putting away lying, even the soft lying that we do to one another, speak the truth. See, not afraid of the tough conversations. Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. 
This uniting that we have is found in the truth in Jesus Christ. And again, we can have, I welcome the toughest of all conversations and the deepest of all repentance and the transformation of each of our lives so that they would be more like the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is not just some random goal down the road. The Apostle Paul says, this is who we are. Therefore, we've been called to respond to the way that God has restored us, to the way that God has redeemed us. And that is why this, hold it. This is God's greatest statement to the world. It brings peace. It brings reconciliation. It brings unity. That is why we reflect on Jesus as our example and as our hope. And that is why we remember on a weekly basis this peaceable, reconciling, uniting body I am a part of. We take it. This cup is a peaceable, reconciling, uniting blood. Let us pray. God, thank you for what you have accomplished for us in Christ. And God, I pray that we would look at the difficult times in which we live, and as we pray, Maranatha, that we trust that should you not come back today, that you have left us here as your ambassadors. Your children, sons and daughters, in a lost and dying world. And I pray, God, that you would give us the insight into how we can be in a complicated time, having difficult conversations, genuine ambassadors of your truth. May we learn to speak the truth in love. It is in Christ we pray. Amen.